Good morning, church. I'd like to have all of our elders to come up, please. And uh, Robert, bring our friends from Turkey are here with us. Robert's going to introduce them. We want to have a prayer over them and their ministry. Church, this is Dimakan and Rafiq from the country of Turkey. These men were both born into Muslim families and a Muslim culture. Now they're both followers of Jesus Christ. Their purpose in life is to show that love and hope to other people. Um, the country of Turkey is about the size and landmass of Texas. In that country, there are nine million refugees from Syria, Afghanistan, Iraq, Iran, all looking for hope. They think they can find it by escaping where they're at. These guys are there to show them what that hope is, and they serve them by giving them things to help them through the day, but ultimately to share Jesus Christ with them. They're here letting the, uh, our country know about that, the Christian community. They're here raising funds, and they're here to let us know that uh, the, the desperate situation that's happening there. And uh, we're thankful for them. I've known Demacon for several years, five or six years. Uh, Rafiq, I just met, but I uh, love the man already. So if you will, continue to pray for these fellows. Uh, hold them up to, to uh, the Father for what they're doing, uh, that he will give them the tools they need to be able to serve him better. So uh, the elders are going to pray over these two men. Mike's going to leave their prayer. Father in heaven, we are so grateful that you've sent these brothers our way. We're thankful, Father, to be able to partner around the world uh, with, with them. Thank you, Father, for for their families. Uh, bless their wives and kids as they're away from them. Father, give them safe passage as they eventually make it back home. Bless their work as they are relieving so many from misery in this old world that, that they're giving them not only physical hope, but spiritual hope. And so give them wisdom as they work. Bless their ministry. In Jesus' name, amen. Would, uh, let's see, Maggie, come on up, read our scripture for us today. Since then you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things above, not on earthly things. Thank you, Maggie. Great job. Such a good job. Thank you. Thank you for all of our young men and women who are reading Scripture publicly. It's one of the things that uh, Paul encouraged uh, Timothy and those folks to keep doing, and we want to keep that going as well. Colossians chapter 2 is where we're going to be, uh, starting in verse 16 today. You know, Phil and Al both reminded us of the supremacy of Christ and the Lordship of Christ. And then uh, last week, I particularly remember uh, 
Al saying concerning the Lordship of Christ that there was a decision, a declaration, and a dedication. And so the rest of this chapter is kind of fleshing that out, what it looks like, and kind of some of the things that get in the way. Uh, there's going to be some warnings given, some things to beware of, and then there's also some some encouragement about being holy throughout this book. These folks are, are in situations where some people have been trying to intimidate them uh, with false teaching and trying to kind of, well, kind of throw them off kilter. Is off kilter a good phrase? You understand what I mean? I don't know if that's an Arkansas thing or whatever, but I know what it means. All right. Get off center. Lose your, lose, kind of lose your uh, uh, way and what you're really focused on. And so uh, the whole first uh, couple of chapters of, Col- of Colossae is really more doctrinal and teaching and making sure that they're solid on the, the good news of the resurrection of Jesus, the gospel of Christ. And uh, the last cap- uh, couple of chapters are about really practical living. Now that you're in Christ, here's what that looks like. So this is kind of the transition section here. Uh, this lesson is a two-part uh, lesson, so we'll... See how far we get today, but eventually we're going to get to chapter 4, verse 1. Uh, but uh, some of that we won't get to till next week. So this will be part 1 of this sermon. Uh, before we go any further, let's just ask the Lord to bless our time together. Father, as we examine your word that has power and nourishment for us, may you open our hearts. Remove any distractions that would get in the way from your Holy Spirit communicating to us through this word today. I pray, Father, that you would help us to always look for nourishment from the things that you've written. As well as encouragement from the brothers and sisters we're with. And so we pray that both those things happen today. What we know not teach us. What we have not give us, what we are not make us. In the name of Jesus. And the church said, Amen. Amen. Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink, or with regard to religious festival, a new moon, celebration, or Sabbath day. These were a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. Do not let anyone who delights in false humility and in the worship of angels disqualify you from the prize. Such a person goes into great detail about what he has seen and his unspiritual mind puffs him up with idle notions. He has lost connection with the head from whom the whole body supposed and held, uh, supported and held together with its ligaments and sinews grows as God, as God causes it to grow. Since you died with Christ to the basic principles of this world, why, as though you still belong to it, do you submit to its rules? Do not handle, do not taste, and do not touch. These are all destined to perish with use because they are based on human commands and teachings. Such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom, and with their self-imposed worship, their false humility, and their harsh treatment of the body. But they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. So there's some false teachers that have come that are threatening the brothers at Colossae. And that they've just become alive in Christ. 
earlier in the verses in this chapter, you see that they were baptized into Christ and that they had the fullness of Christ in them now. And so all of a sudden, that freedom that they found in Christ starts getting threatened by teachings. There's three things that's going to, that, that they need to be aware of that are threatening their, uh, uh, their freedom in Christ and things we need to be aware of today. In verse, six, in verse 16 and 17, legalism is the first thing he mentions. Don't let others judge you. Verse 18 and 19, mysticism. Don't let others disqualify you. In verse 20 and 23, asceticism. Don't let others deceive you. Let's talk about those for just a little bit. The first couple of verses, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat. Or drink, or with regard to religious festivals. Basically, to those that came out of the Jewish background, that, that always wanted to have Christ plus something. Christ plus keeping the religious laws. Christ plus keeping the ceremonial laws. And it was all about to them the, the diet. Anybody ever been on a diet in this room besides me? A diet? We don't want to talk about that too much, do we? A diet or a day. But it's not just a diet to say I want to be more healthy or, or what. It's a diet that's tied to the salvation of your, uh, of your soul. It's a diet that says if you don't follow this diet, if you don't worship these days as special, then you're out. If you don't keep the rules, then you're not saved. So basically, it's, a, it's legalism. It says you've got to keep X number of things right in order to be right. Now, I used to think that legalism, especially in my own life, came from the particular kind of church that I was raised in. And, but I realized later on uh, that it really wasn't that. Legalism is not a church problem only. Legalism is a human problem. We all think that somehow or another, if I can just do enough right things, God will... Answer that rightness by making me right. can never happen. No matter how many right things we do, we're not considered right. Because we cannot solve our sin problem. We cannot legally do anything about the fact that I have broken God's law and I'm lost. And we know that I got that part early on from the book of Romans. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. I just didn't get the rest of the sentence. If you want to know what that is, look up in Romans 3.23. Read the rest of it. I wish I'd been made to memorize the whole sentence. Oh, i got to tell you part of it. And justified freely by His grace to the redemption that's found in Christ Jesus. I wish I'd have got the cure as well as the, uh, you know... As well as the guilt. But what happens to us when we buy into this idea or we let other people put us under it. That if you don't do this exactly right, then you're lost. That particular issue becomes a very heavy, heavy thing. So that's why with me uh, growing up, things were very heavy that didn't need to be heavy. 
I remember the first time I ever came down to this church back in the 1970s and, and we just had the one auditorium, had two services and I was fired up. I went to both of them, you know, and then I and, uh, uh, and worked on the joy buses we had back then. Anybody remember the pink joy buses? You know, the Pepto-Bismol pink? Yeah. We all kids all around this town. I was excited for the Lord. And then I got into an assembly and I found out that they had uh, children's worship going on during the main worship when we took communion. And I knew that couldn't be right because I had read a verse in the book of Acts. They all came into one place and we're not in one place. And so I'm, I've got this big argument lined up. I, when I walk in, you know, I'm laying it on Bill Smith. Well, I'm fixed to correct him. After all, I'm, I'm all of 19 years old. Got it down. You know, it didn't take me long to realize that I didn't know very much. And that my view of scripture had, uh, uh, my view of scripture had been influenced by a legalistic approach to scripture. And so boy, what a great day when I discovered grace. That not only grace covered my bad behavior, but grace covers my bad theology. Because I do not know it all. And a long way from it. Legalism says you got to have Christ plus the religious regulations. And basically the religious teachers were telling them, you're, yeah, you're close, but you're not quite there. Well, here's what he says in the next one. By the way, he said those, those things in Judah were a shadow. They weren't the reality. You know what? I want the reality, right? Not the shadow of things. Do not let anyone who delights in false humility or, and the wrong and the worship of angels disqualify you from the prize. Such a person goes into great detail about what he has seen and his unspiritual mind puffs him up with the idol, with this idle notions. Now, so now we move not only from the, the legalist teaching, but now to those in mysticism. Mysticism says, don't let others disqualify you because you haven't had the experience I have. There's a greater experience for you to have. That's what the mystics were saying. They were basically saying, and this teaching is still around today, that if you haven't really had the emotional experience that I've had, and, and the, uh, then you're not quite in. That exists today, and that exists today in churches in the United States. Who would promote a teaching that says if you hadn't got received this particular gift, you're not quite there yet. I mean, you're, you're in, but you're not quite in. You're not really in. And the whole idea of that basically develops this whole Gnostic idea that they're in the know better than you are. And so this guy, based on his religious experience and his own visions, says, here's what you have to do. And he places that on you. Have you ever had somebody say, God told me? I had a guy come up one to one time before Bible class in here. He said, uh, uh, actually it was during Bible class. He raises his hand and he said, uh, oh, brother, brother, my, uh, uh, God told me to be here today. And he told me that I have a message for this class. It's right in the middle of my Bible class. And uh, I said, really? He said, yeah. And I said, well, I'll tell you what, uh, uh, I'll meet with you after class and we'll, we'll talk about that. Uh, okay, but, but now you got to get this out. You got to let me, you got to let me share this. But God has told me this. Now, look, I'm not denying the guy might have had a religious experience. But the 
I told him, the problem is God didn't tell me that. You know, I mean, if God tells me to let you speak, okay, I'm in, you know. But we sat down together and, of course, I just took the opportunity to try to share the gospel with him. But he really didn't want to have anything to do with it because he felt he had a particular experience that put him above all teachers. And he was now sent out to all churches to step in and have a message for everybody. So I'm supposed to submit to his vision. That's where it ended up. Do not let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you from the prize. Such a person goes into great detail about, NIV says he has seen, some of them says about his vision. And his unspiritual mind puffs him up with idle notions. So, Mysticism says it's Christ plus a subjective experience. A subjective experience that can't be validated by the book. In their desire for religious ecstasy, they lose touch with reality. Verse 10 says that we already have the fullness of Christ, but mysticism says... You don't really have the fullness of Christ until you have the experience I've had. If fullness in Christ is not enough for you, then it's all about you. I just want to say that again. Think about this. If fullness in Christ is not enough for you, then it's all about you. So if someone tries to pressure you because their own experience or their own vision, and they say you must have this same experience or vision or must be on board with mine, don't go there, brothers. It will steal your joy and rob you of your freedom in Christ. When you have the fullness of Christ, and earlier in the chapter I already said you got that when you were baptized into the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus... If that's not enough, then I don't know what is. The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, the grace that is found at the message of the gospel is enough. It's more than enough. So he warns them, don't let others knock you off track, disqualify you in the race you're running by what they say is their vision and their experience. Now this is a very difficult thing. Because when people feel moved in their heart, they feel that that sincerity somehow or another confirms a message from God. Always check the heart with the word. And if they differ, go with the word. The old prophet said, the heart is deceitful. Sometimes our heart can mislead us. Sometimes if we believe the lie about something, it'll lead us down a row of believing all kinds of other things. Now validate what you believe by the word of God. Don't get disqualified 
because of the experience. If fullness in Christ is not enough for you, then it's all about you. It's all about desiring to have some experience that is going to be the deciding factor that I'm good with God. It's not about me. It's about Jesus. And his blood is what makes me good with God. Trust the word, not man's experience. The third thing he says in verse 20 and 23 Since you died with Christ to the basic principles of this world, why, as though you still belong to it, do you submit to its rules? This is going to be the one on asceticism. Now, asceticism, basically, it takes a severe view of the body and punishing it and treating it harshly in in order to be more holy. So, uh... It says Christ plus severe denial of self and harsh treatment of the body that results in holiness. It's the view that the body is evil and the soul is good. And so I've got to beat down that body and keep it in subjection in order to be right with my soul. Now, you had two extremes with, a, uh, with that kind of concept on the body bad and the soul is good. One extreme said the body's bad, the soul's good. So if I'm just right with, in my mind with God all the time, it, I can do anything I want in my body. That was one extreme of license. The other says if I'm good in my mind and my soul, then I just got to keep beating my body and put it in harsh situations. And so, so you have all these guys that go out and they, they would live in caves and they, and they wouldn't change clothes and they wouldn't, they would only eat grass and different things to try to, get their body to submit with this harsh punishment so they could somehow or another saw that as holiness. Neglect of the body cannot heal the soul. And when Jesus died and was raised from the dead, he died for us, body, soul, and spirit. He didn't halfway save you or a third of the way save you. He saved all of you. And this body that we live in, as much problems as it gives us. Anybody body giving them any problems this morning when you got out of bed for the third time since you went to bed? Some of you know. Some of you, some of you got that kind of thing going on. Yeah. Some of you will know later on. You ever any problems with your body? I've noticed now that, uh, you know, this one I can read pretty good, but I've got a couple of Bibles I can't read anymore. Uh, these don't work as, as good as they used to. You know, it's kind of like, uh, kind of like, and, uh, uh, remember the, remember the show where, uh, Archie Bunk, remember Archie? Great theologian Archie was. He told Edith one time, he said, Edith, you look just as beautiful as the day we got married. And she's like, oh, no, Archie, I, I, that can't be true. And he said, oh, yeah. He said, the good Lord made us that way. As we get older, my eyes get worse. You always look the same. <laughs> well, our bodies do wear down. I was in the doctor's office this week about something and... uh my brother Wally was checking out the x-rays and he's showing me things on, in my neck and some problems I had. And, and uh, he said, oh, yeah, I can see why. He said, you know, things do just wear out. I'm like, boy, that's the message of hope. 
But then he did give me some good hope after that, right? So, uh, but look, yeah. Our bodies are going to come out of the ground one day. That's good news. And so while I'm here in this broken thing, broken down because of sin and broken down because of the brokenness of the world and all the the things that exist there, I just got to keep plugging along and serving God best I can and trust God. But I don't have to punish this body. This body now is made to glorify God when I become a Christian. I used to use it to satisfy the flesh. Now I've got to use it to, to, to give God glory. And he's going to go into this next chapter about how to do that. The things to get rid of and the things to put in place of them. So, asceticism is a hard treatment of your body in order to try to somehow or another gain holiness. But guess what? It's false and it's futile. It's false. It doesn't match the word of God. It's futile because look what he says in the last verse. Such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom. Some people will look at that person. Oh man, they are holy. Look at what they, they, they only eat this. They live like this. And that has an appearance of wisdom. And their self-imposed worship, their false humility, and their harsh treatment of the body. But look here. But they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. You do all that you want. It will not restrain sensual indulgence. What will? I mean, if legalism steals our freedom and mysticism steals us uh, our freedom and if asceticism steals our freedom, and if those things, if we add them, they don't help any, what does help? That's what he's telling them. Look, don't go to any of those things. Here's where you go to. Next verse, chapter 3, verse 1. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Get your, or set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you'll also appear with him in glory. Set your mind and set your heart. And then he's going to say the rest chapter, set your actions all toward giving God the glory. This is where the change is made in our lives. This is where the ongoing battle takes place, right? As we said before, before you know, uh, uh, baptism didn't drown the devil. Now, you're in Christ, but you still got a battle till he comes again because that's the nature of living in a broken world and a broken body. So I have to fight and I struggle with things. But they don't rule over me. Jesus is my Lord. But I still have things I have to work at getting rid of all the time. Look what he says next. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived. But now you must rid yourself of all such things as these. Anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Here there's no Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. 
So he says, get rid of, put to death, do not, take off all these things. Because that's, that's how you used to live. Now, will that happen instantly in everybody's situation? No. He's writing to Christians who are struggling with it. We all do, don't we? I don't know about you, but I, some of these very things I have to I continue fighting in my life all the time. Now, one of the keys is the very first verse of this chapter is I've got to, I've got to get my mind right. Remember that? You need to get your mind right, boy. Well, I need to get my mind. I need to set my mind and set my heart on things above. Paul on one occasion said, we have to take every thought into captivity. You might not can keep from having a thought, but when you have it, you can take it captive and put it where it belongs. Now, the evil one is out there attacking our thoughts and minds all the time. He attacks our minds at the health club, attacks our minds at the ball game, at the TV commercials and everything else that's happening in the world. Look at our culture. If that's not an attack on the hearts and minds of people. Matter of fact, if he can get a culture to normalize sinful activity and make everything, everybody think that's just normal, then he thinks he has a victory. And if we're not careful, if we don't have our minds and our hearts set on things above, We'll flow right into the flow of the culture. Look, Christianity is always counterculture. Always. Because people in the world do not think like Jesus thinks. So it's a challenge to put on and to rid ourselves of these things. He mentions just a few of anger, rage. Any of you got angry lately? Had any rage lately? Don't be poking your, some of you doing like this. You know, don't you love it when somebody wants to confess your sin? It says this holiness, this living holy is about me deciding and looking in my heart and saying, man, Mike, I need to get rid of this right here. I need to get rid of lust. I need to get rid of of malice. I need to get rid of jealousy. That effort of holiness is a walk of grace that honors God because I can't get rid of them on my own. Only by the grace of God can I at least attain to some point of limitness in, in these things. Because as long as I live in a broken world, I mean, I'm going to have some sinfulness to deal with. You remember what he says in First John? If you walk in the light as he is in the light, and you have, you have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ continually cleanses you from your sin. Now, if it's continually cleansing you from your sin, guess what you have as you walk in the light? Sin. And it's continually being cleansed by the blood of Christ. 
I used to think that that meant that every time walking in the light meant you lived perfect. And then when you stepped your toe and said, said a bad word, you said a prayer and the prayer got rid of the sin. You were, you, you, you got back in the light. You were in and out of the light, kind of like you were walking a tightrope. And if something happened, I, uh, this is what legalism does to you, by the way. You know, I, I, I'm living right. I, I, uh oh, I sinned. I thought something bad. God forgive me. And then I'm, 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 uh, you know, I'm back in the light and I'm out of the light and I'm in the light. And if I could, if the Lord would just come, Right before I was just taking communion, just blump, blump, and died in, I might make it. Or better yet, if you drown me in the baptistry, I know I'm there, right? Matter of fact, I remember one time I baptized Hank Bean back there, and he kind of floated on me. He went underwater, and I heard this thud, and his head hit the side of the, you know, we're about saving him and sending him to heaven all in the same act there. Isn't it a shame that some of us felt more assurance as a brand new baby in Christ than we do after being in the... Maybe that's a sign the Lord's done with this sermon. I don't know. But I, I want you to have full assurance of your salvation. I want to have full assurance of mine. And as old as I am and as much as I read it, there are still times in my life, because I know my own brokenness, I'm like, I don't know, God, how you can keep loving me. I want you to lay your head on your pillow tonight. And fall asleep knowing 100% you're right with the Lord. That's only by the grace of God. You can't feel more right by doing more. You can't feel more right by experiencing more. You can't feel more right by practicing more holiness. Just set your hearts and your minds On Jesus Christ. Rest assured. His grace is more than enough. And when you lay your head on your pillow tonight. You just by setting your mind on what's above. You just pretend you're laying your head on the lap of God. And with the stroke and love of a parent, he holds you and he keeps you. And you didn't have to do enough. He did enough. Father in heaven, oh Father, I I don't want the evil one through any manner or doctrine to steal the freedom and assurance that we have in Jesus. These words that you wrote for these brothers years ago ring true for us. And I pray for our church family that we would not ever allow the bitterness, the doubting, the judgment of legalism in our midst. We put our trust in you as the judge and as the loving father.
And Father, we do want to be holy. And we struggle with unholy things sometimes in our hearts and minds and our lives. And so we do pray, Father, for forgiveness. We know that your blood of Jesus continually forgives us as we walk in the light. Bless my brothers and sisters with more confidence in Christ than they've ever had before in their life. And a determination to follow Jesus. A decision to make him Lord. A declaration in our own life that others would see Jesus in us and give you the glory. Father, if there's people in this audience or live stream or anywhere that's in the sound of my voice, if they're if they doubt their salvation, Father, please help them to understand the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus and the solid hope that they can have in Christ. Thank you, Father, for hearing us. Thank you for your patience with us as we are so mature, immature so many times. Thank you for your amazing grace as we approach you just as we are. In Jesus' name, amen. If you'd like to be baptized into Christ and start all over brand new, that's the invitation. If you just need prayers and help to walk in the light, we're all doing that together. You can come while we stand and sing. Thank mm-hmm. you.